Hello and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number 131, and let's roll. We are one week away from the NFL Draft. Lots of uh, lots of cool storylines. Uh, maybe me and my guests will talk a little bit about some of those storylines, um, but really a lot of noise, a lot of noise, a lot of fun stuff. Bryce Young locked in 1.01 in uh, the NFL draft. Sounds like it's a foregone conclusion. That was certainly a little bit of a heel toe from Carolina as we sort of thought based off of some of the whispers that it was going to be C.J. Stroud. Now C.J. Stroud threatening to fall even further than even pick two. I can't wait. It's going to be so much fun to watch. I'm not prognosticating too much of what will or won't happen at the top of the draft because it seems senseless for me to do so. But I will be prognosticating which running backs are worth your investment in your rookie draft. That I'm pretty good at. And of course, I bring in someone else who is excellent at that. You all know him, Mr. Noah Hills. Noah Hills can be found on Twitter at Noah More Parties. Mr. Noah Hills, welcome back to the program, my friend. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, yes. happy to be back. Um, I'm just, yeah, I, you said we're a week out from the NFL draft. I think we're recording this a couple days early, but I didn't realize it was even that close. It feels like it's just kind of creeped up on us. But here we are. We got a, got a running back class to talk about. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's a week and a day or whatever, I guess, next Thursday night. Uh, we're Wednesday morning, so to speak, here. But this will come out Thursday, I suppose. And it'll be a week before you know it. And, you know, it's funny because us running back guys, you know, we're really – day two is the day. <laughs> it's like yeah. like we're going to see, like, Bijan, okay, wherever he lands, doesn't really matter. He's the one – you know, he's the RB1. Mm-hmm. Nobody's discussing that. Maybe another running back sneaks into round one. I actually don't think so unless – Bijan goes like top 10, then maybe we could see, you know, uh, a running back thirsty team like uh, Cincinnati or something like that. Grab a Jameer Gibbs or something like that, which I think would be fucking awesome for Jameer Gibbs if he were to land late first round of Cincinnati. But, um, you know, other than that, we're not going to see any running backs taken. So, you know, they're day two. And that's when we're going to be paying attention to running back landing spots. eh? Yeah, I agree. I think there's a very small outside chance that somebody falls in love with like the speed of a chain and he goes at, you know, the late twenties or something like that. I would not predict that. Yeah. I think you're right that it's going to be probably Bijan in the first somewhere, maybe Gibbs. And then we'll get a lot of guys, you know, especially like the third round, fourth round, fifth round. Yes. Second, third, fourth, fifth. They're just going to fly off the board and there will be a run. I think, you know, it's funny. I was, I was wondering if there would be that game of chicken, you know, because, you know, one of the questions I'm about to ask you is what you think of the sort of the, I don't know whether you call it the landscape or the texture of this running back class. You know, um, I feel like, and you're going to, you know, tell us if you agree, I feel like there's a lot of like, you know, a, a flat tier somewhere after, you know, even if you want to say after Bijan, you know, at that point, it gets, it's not completely flat, but it's flattish and there are flat plateaus in there that are not that not that far separated and for me draft capital and where these guys go is gonna is gonna dictate a lot of that but because there's so many guys if I'm an NFL franchise I would sort of be like well I'll just wait because 
if I get this one or that one, I don't really care. So I'll wait for them to take that one. Then I'll take this one type of thing. Um, I, I wonder if there's going to be that game of chicken or probably not because NFL GMs can't help themselves. Am I right? Right, right. They, I mean, we've got these, you know, just to talk about the the landscape of the class, it is Bijan at the top. And then I've got a tier of like four guys. I, I could be convinced to throw Roshan in there. I could be convinced to throw like Tajay Spears in there up near the top. But really it's like Bijan, a few guys, and then like 10 from like RB5 right. to RB15. And yeah, like NFL GMs, I, you know, if they like Izzy Abanacanda more than Tank Bigsby, are they willing to just wait on Bigsby? I, you know, I, right, I right, don't right. know. Some... Some of them probably will. Some of them probably won't. So I think everyone's going to have, I mean, just, just like we do in the fantasy space, like everybody has their, their favorite flavor of these yes. running backs. Um, I think NFL teams have specific needs to fill their backfields. Uh, scouts and personnel departments have flavors they prefer on their team or just happen to strike them, uh, you know, in a more appealing way than other types of players. So yep. th- this big tier from like RB five ish to RB fifteen, and maybe some other guys that you know we don't even usually think about in that area. Yeah. Um, it could go in any order. Like I-, I would not be surprised by really any any order of that group. Well, I did a little. I agree with you. I did a little cheating. I did ask you a couple questions before the show to get some idea. And of course, I follow you and I know you, but I I've, I've heard you have. A, a specific player at RB2 that is in a phylum of players that I have been a little bit petrified. And I'll share with you going in. That way you can respond uh, uh, before you go in. One of the one of the things that I find with my anatomy series, you know, and sort of identifying, you know, what the elite running backs in the NFL look like is they all seem to have size. Uh, you know, 205 is kind of light for a lead back or at least a you know, a top, you know, 15 back in the NFL. And most of them are 210 plus. Most of them are certainly 30 BMI or better. Um, they, they, if they're light, they're usually short and, and stocky, at least to some degree, you know, I mean, Aaron Jones and, and, you know, CMC was kind of the, the, one of the lighter and one of the, um, you know, lowest BMI guys that has been good yeah, he's like and he's been outstanding. Right. Yeah. He's like, he's still close. I mean, he's still over 200 pounds and he's the quote unquote light guy, you know, the Gibbs, a chain, Tajay Spears, even Zach Evans, these guys are, you know, I think you're going to unearth some really great data about them, but I am super afraid of them at their size, not in total, not like, Oh, I'm never drafting it. I'm just saying like, this is a data point that I do value. I'm not saying they can't be an outlier, but there's just a lot of these guys. And I wonder how to treat them in the draft because I think a lot of them, if not all of them, are going to get draft capital. I don't know. Uh, you have a chain where at two, so tell me. Obviously, you don't uh, have as much concern as I do. Yeah, I do have a chain at two, um, but I'm not. Uh, I'm not blind to, you know, the the wide range of outcomes and the risk represented by that 188 number. Yeah. Um, you know, on the scale at the combine, like that's not a good number for a running back. And no. if we just had, you know, a hundred guys lined up and all we knew about them was their size, I'm not putting the 188 guy anywhere near the top of, you know, that group of players. Right. Um, but I think, uh, we should care about size 
for a few different reasons. Um, be, beyond just it being like predictive, uh, right. but but like why is it predictive? Why should we care? Uh, I think number one is because uh, it's easier to like run with power when you have size to break tackles, um, to push piles for short yardage touchdowns and things like that. Like being bigger just literally helps you on the field. Um, being bigger presumably helps you stand up to like a heavy workload. I haven't seen the specific studies that show that, but it that's conventional wisdom and it makes sense to me. So I think I'm willing to make that assumption that bigger guys probably do better, uh, you know, to, to a certain point. I don't want my running back to be 500 pounds, but, you know, to a certain <laughs> right. point, yeah. um, you know, we want him to be bigger Unless for, he runs for a workload four, four. purposes. If he runs a 4-4, uh, yeah. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, we got like a 300 speed score or something. But, uh, and the third reason I think is because coaches tend to give guys uh, bigger guys, more work, whether Bingo. probably is. for one of the first two reasons, because either yes. they think it helps them on the field or because they think they can hold up to a workload better. And so with a chain, I think his, he has below average, like play strength and power and ability to like break tackles physically, but I don't think that's unique to him. And I don't think that's proportional to his size. I think he, he plays just as big as some of the you know, 200, 205, 200, like he doesn't play with less power to me than Chase Brown. He doesn't play with much less power, if at all, uh, than Izzy Abanacanda. Uh, He plays with more power than Gibbs does. And so if if we're looking at the ways that his size manifests on the field and his ability to power through contact and break tackles and things like that, he's not at a significant disadvantage relative to lots of other guys in this class who don't happen to weigh less than 190 pounds. And so the other half of that equation is, do I think he can hold up to a workload? Well, he, he already, you know, handled more of a workload than a lot of guys in this class, more than Evans, more than Gibbs. Uh, I, I don't know, look, looking down the list here, uh, more than uh, Kenny McIntosh. You know, there's, there's just guys in this class who he had more touches than in college. Right. Um, he had 38 carries against LSU, was running the ball up the middle on, you know, like normal, not Mickey Mouse run plays. Um, so can he handle a workload? I don't see why he couldn't necessarily. Does he play uniquely light? I don't think so. And so then then what we're left with is, okay, will a coach give him work? Will a team give him opportunity? And that's the same question we have for every running back in this class from 5 to 15, really. And so if that's the concern we're left with, but I think A-Chain is better than all those guys, I, you know, how much consideration can I give his size when I don't think it's it's uniquely detrimental to him in the ways that, I think we should care about. So he's my RB2 based on talent, despite the size. I fully expect to move him down after the draft if he goes in, you know, round three to a team with an already established starter or something like that. He, you know, I'll move him down, but pre-draft, I'm ranking largely based on talent. And I think A-Chain, if he was 215 pounds, I'd have him at RB1. Uh, I think he's better than Bijan, pound for pound. Uh, But, you know, running back plays not graded on a curve on the field. So he's, he's my RB2. That that's the concession I'll make with the size. He's RB two. Yeah, that that that's all fair. That's all fair. As a matter of fact, I've said it on this pod before that you know a chain. You know, a lot of times you see a guy. Oh, he runs a four three two. He's one hundred and eighty eight pounds. Oh, he plays scat back style. He's a you know no. He was he's an aggressive runner. I mean, he is yeah. absolutely a guy who who will mix it up on the inside. I don't disagree with that. I don't even necessarily disagree because I agree with you. You said like, um, there's no proof that these guys don't hold up. I agree. There is no proof. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, 
all different sizes of running backs have gotten hurt. The big one for me is – and draft capital, I agree. I think he's – I actually would, will disagree. I don't think he's going in the third round. I don't think there's any chance he gets out of round two. Um, just because the NFL loves speed and production mm-hmm. and the big school, the whole thing. I mean, he's got a lot of it. My fear is that the one that you you mentioned was – how does the NFL see him? This was the Kenny Gainwell thing. I love Kenny Gainwell. Kenny Gainwell, one of my favorite players. I was like, dude, this kid's awesome. I just felt like he was going to be pigeonholed and typecast in the NFL. And I still think that uh, as good as Devon A-Chain is, you know, with the things that, you know, running up the middle, running through contact, running with power. I mean, at 188, as much as he can run with power. Right. Um, he does those things. He doesn't, uh, you know, he's a hell of a running back. I've said this. I'm afraid that, you know, you can't have a 180. It's just betting on the outlier is very, very difficult for me to do at the cost of running back two overall. So I don't disagree with you specifically in the way that you get to running back two, because for me and for you and for anybody else who's ranking players and trying to figure out it, you've got to look past something. You know what I mean? It's like none of these players are going to be like, oh, perfect. The perfect is Bijan. We see that. All right. We all agree. So now all the rest of them are imperfect in one way or another. And that imperfection needs to be looked past in order for you to make them RB2. Jameer Gibbs is no different. He didn't handle a big workload. He is 199 pounds. There's, it's not perfect there either. Now, he was, you know, on a per-play basis, a much, much better receiver than any of these other guys that we're talking about. So he does offer specific sort of DeAndre Swift, Alvin Kamara pass game usage um, which is exciting, but you know, uh, unless he goes to the right spot, you know, I'll be a little bit nervous about Gibbs being RB two too. So I totally agree with you. One of the things that, you know, you did, you do, did do, you did it and you do it is you have, um, something that I was super excited to talk to you about last year, which is your, your sort of your Bay rating and your success rate, uh, rating and, uh, basically, um, sort of comparing, uh, players um, to the production of their the, the other players on their own team. So like, you know, one guy runs for five yards a carry on this team. The other guy runs for six yards a carry on another team. Which one's better? Well, we just sort of go, oh, the guy was six yards per carry. But if all the other guys on the six yard per carry team ran for seven yards and the, all the other players on the five yard per carry average four, then five might be better. You know, you see my point, right? You've done yep. that research. You've, you've boiled that down into a, a couple of different metrics. Talk a minute more eloquently than I just did about that research and, and how we're going to talk about it today. Yeah. So you basically boiled down like where my thought process was, um, you know, kind of at the start, um, here where it's, it's difficult to compare between situations. Um, and so, creating some sort of baseline uh, that's kind of agnostic across situations is helpful for comparing players between situations. And so um, we can, you know, with the example you gave, the guy who averaged six yards per carry was actually averaging one yard per carry less than his teammates, while the guy who was averaging five yards per carry was averaging a yard per carry greater. And so if we assume equal talent between his teammates or between the two sets of teammates, one guy is outperforming them. Uh, or outperforming his teammates. The other guy is not. And so the five is probably actually better than the six. Um, and, and, and then that has some, you know, some small issues as well. Uh, like let's say, 
the guy averaging five yards per carry, a yard per carry greater than his teammates, is exclusively or, you know, by and large, carrying the ball on third and 12 on, right. you know, w- when they when they check to a draw or whatever, um, or he's he's catching jet sweeps from the slot, things like that. Um, he, he's his usage is just more conducive to uh, a higher efficient running. Like right. if, if he's not getting the ball in short yardage situations and things like that. So box adjusted efficiency rating and relative success rate take what that first step a step further by then comparing uh, team relative efficiency at each box count uh, because yes. that 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 levels the playing field for players who carry the ball in different situations by only comparing them when they're playing in the same situations. And then using a weighted average, you can kind of determine uh, what a carry is worth for a given player, given the situations he's carrying the ball in, relative to what his collective teammates are producing. Uh, that's box-adjusted efficiency rating. And then the other side of the coin is not a, a, uh, a per-carry average, it's a rate stat. So... Um, Relative to your teammates and given the box counts you're you're seeing, but also given the down and distance situations you're carrying the ball in, how often are you creating positive outcomes um, according to like EPA, um, which there's a lot more there we could dive into. But um, yes, but it's just how just, often you are successful on a run compared to your other teammates. There's a lot to dive in there, but hopefully that was enough to to keep the audience with us when we mention those things, because I think. Those are just awesome data points. I mentioned last year when I had you on the show that I had done some of that back of the napkin. You know, I'd literally mm-hmm. kind of look at some of these things like, you know, oh, this guy was six yards per It was like the old Memphis thing with Daryl Henderson, you know, and, yeah. you know, he was ripping runs and you're like, holy shit, this guy is amazing, 7.2 yards. And then you look at the offense, you're like, no, 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 no. This is, they're kind of rolling people. So it's it's not just him. and And yeah, he's good, but he's not, fucking that good so you know all these things are helpful and when you put them into sort of um again like as you say a box adjusted which is even better you know what kind of runs and and you break it all down you'll get there with some of these players but i would ask you let me just say this last year you know i was into tyler algier uh early in the process again I'm, i'm a little bit of a size guy so at the end of the day he was bigger and faster supposedly and and was pretty productive and converted linebacker which sort of explains some of his late breakout and stuff like that and I was kind of into Algier I was not into Damian Pierce the the sort of the the film guys got me into Damian Pierce they're like no he's good and I'm like well I've heard the film guy story before let's look <laughs> deeper and you were one of the people that helped me get there on Damian Pierce which was you know, his, 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 his Bay rating, his success rate was great. The other thing that I loved was his a dot, you know, when we looked at Damian Pierce and we looked at his sort of raw data, he didn't have a great passing profile. He didn't have a great rushing profile, but when we looked into the advanced stats, he quite certainly did have a very good pass catching and, uh, and, and efficiency, you know, metrics. So some of those things can help us get there on some players and hopefully, you know, you'll be able to shed some light. It was also the reason that we were so uh, so much further down on a player like um, Isaiah Spiller. And I think, you know, us getting Damian Pierce and Tyler Algier over Isaiah Spiller uh, is a pretty good success rate, I'd say, last year, eh? Yes, yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, and yeah, Pierce, not used heavily, but you know, was used creatively in the passing game, uh, super efficient, super consistent on a down-to-down basis as a rusher. Um, Algier, 
Um, you know, obviously it was a workhorse, but similar things there. And then Spiller was like productive, uh, super early in the SEC, but just wasn't good on a down to down basis. It, 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 you know, we use these, these production thresholds and put players into buckets and things like that, uh, for efficiency's sake, uh, because you just can't watch film on every player. You can't dive deep on every single player. And so we use those filters, but then, you know, when you hear things like, like early on last last offseason, I remember talking shit about the people who were in on Damian Pierce. You know, they were talking about him, you know, you know, jerking off over his pass blocking ability at the senior bowl and, and shit like that. And I was like talking shit. But I came around because, you know, if if everybody thinks he's really good, like maybe I should look a little closer. And once right. I did, like he he looked like exactly what they were saying he was, which is a guy who was inexplicably underused despite being awesome on a per touch basis. Like that, that's exactly what he was. So um, I think I'm kind of looking at the big picture and honing in, you know, kind of on a, on a more focused level is, is, is helpful after you've done that filtering. So, yeah. And I think I really appreciate the fact that you, um, you don't have these preconceived notions that you're unwilling to move off of. Cause I, I know that you got a lot of flack for the Isaiah Spiller stuff. And one of the things you said on this pod, I re-listened to it just because I was curious about what we had discussed. And you were like, I didn't even know who the fuck he was before I started looking into him. You know, it's like, I don't have, I'm not against him. I'm not for or against any of these guys. Like I don't care. I just, I'm trying yeah. to find the right answer. And so, you know, but a lot of people are like, you just hate him. Cause, and you're like, factually not even close to correct. I mean, I can't even be more agnostic to who, which one is good or bad. I don't give a shit. I'm just trying to find out. And I love that about your approach, whether it be through film, which you now do a a bit more of, but also sort of, you know, just, just breaking down the information to try and let it tell you what is true. Yeah. Yeah. I think I try to do that. Um, yeah. sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it's tough. Like being is. contrarian is, is fun. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's fun to like be the guy that doesn't have Bijan Robinson at RB one. Uh, you yeah. get a lot of like engagement on Twitter from that, but, um, you know, if people are looking to you as like the source of, um, you know, actual helpful information, you, you, ha- you know, kind of intellectual honesty demands that you, yes. you know, have have strong opinions weekly held and are able to you know pivot with new information yeah i i love having a lot of fun on twitter um i think i just posted something comparing like gabe davis to marquise brown and people go fucking crazy (laughs) and i don't even really respond i just let people what are you trying to you know and that's all fun Mm -hmm. and uh you know whatever it's like just fun but on 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 the pod, I, I I do more and sort of some with my rankings and with you know articles and things that we are really trying to say. We 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 certainly want to be right. Um, there's a time and a place for uh, interaction on Twitter, which of course I adore. I absolutely adore making people get really uncomfortable and flipping out and very upset about just like something. I think I even did that for Jameer Gibbs and and. Uh, and uh, H and I did another thing where I just send out shit and make people like, you know, it's like JJ Taylor is probably his outcome. You know, people just love it. So yeah, I uh-huh. love that stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, we're trying to really figure it out. So let's start with um, who, which, which, which running backs in this class have sort of vaulted to the top. I think one of them is certainly going to be fucking a chain, but vaulted to the top of your Bay rating and the whole thing and, and sort of explain 
your sort of top based off of some of that data? Because I'm dying to hear it. Yeah, let me let me take a look here. Um, so one thing, yeah, one thing that people uh, notice, uh, that, like the PFF guys or you know whoever it is, is firing out these like graphs of you know missed tackles forced per attempt and like explosive yep. run rate, and the, and the guys to the top right, you know, best in both categories. It's always like Keaton Mitchell, Dwayne McBride, Tajay Spears, uh, because these guys were dominant against like low levels of competition, and so yep. if, if you're good, it it's more obvious. Um, and, and that's the same thing with Bay rating. Like you kind of have to make the same sub- subjective um, determinations. Like if, you know, Dwayne McBride was playing for playing at Auburn, his box adjusted efficiency rating probably wouldn't look as good while he's playing next to Tank Bigsby and Jarquiz Hunter and some of these good players than it did looking, right. you know, relative to the no name dudes at UAB. Um, so you got to make those subjective determinations. But the best guys in this class in Bay rating are McBride, Mitchell, uh, Spears is really good. Um, Evan Hull, another guy who, you know, that's a Big Ten school, but, you know, his teammates probably weren't really that good. Um, right. A-Chain, though, really, really good. He's got the third highest career mark in the class at 145.6%, which, which to, you know, decipher what that means, the average carry for A-Chain, given the, the types of situations he's carrying the ball in, was worth 45.6% more output than a random carry from the collective other guys at A&M, including Spiller um, and, you know, some of those guys early on. So A-Chain was really impressive. Um, Abanacanda's good. Chris Rodriguez is one who mm. nobody talks about Chris Rodriguez, but he was really good. And people want to people want to comp him to Benny Snell, if I can get on my Chris Rodriguez soapbox real quick. Please, People want to comp go. him. Yeah. People want to comp Chris Rodriguez to Benny Snell because it's easy. Like, that is the easy comp. They both played at Kentucky. Uh, they're both kind of like two down grinder backs who don't really catch the ball. Neither of them are really athletic. Got it. Uh, but Chris Rodriguez has the highest relative success rate in this class at 11.5%, which is ridiculous. That's super high. Uh, a 130% Bay rating. So w- much more efficient than the other backs at Kentucky. Uh, I don't think Benny Snell was in college football. Um, for a large part of the Bay rating era as far back as those stats go. But like his yards per carry relative to his teammates back at Kentucky was like, he, he was averaging like more than a yard less than those other guys. Like he was, he was a volume fueled 1000 yard rusher where Rodriguez right. was, was actually adding value on the ground. Um, so he, he's absolutely not Benny Snell. I don't know if he gets drafted, but I think he's a lot more interesting than he's getting credit for. I think he's going to get drafted and and I've been quietly moving Chris Rodriguez up in my rankings and definitely interested in pushing the button on him, you know, later in, in rookie drafts because he's I, I don't think he's going to get day two capital. I think he's going to be a day three pick, but I think he's going to be a day three pick, you know, five or six round five, or six, I would think um, unless I'm completely missing the boat on this kid. I think he's good enough to like you know, like you say, just hold down a backfield. If a, if a, if a lead back got hurt, he's not exactly a pass game, uh, weapon, (laughs) that's for sure. But, um, but yeah, he's been very, very good. And, and, and there are, there is a little bit of a Chris Rodriguez, you know, hive and, you know, uh, it's caused me to look a little bit deeper and, and I've actually, dare I say, I've actually watched film on Chris Rodriguez because he's been that, (laughs) um, enticing to me. I don't watch film on every guy because are are you kidding? Like I'm going to watch fucking, you know, you know, all the way down Lou Nichols and shit. I mean, 
I, I, I right, can't right. do that. I just don't have time. Yeah, fuck uh, Lou just, Nichols. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just, yeah. but like a guy like Chris Rodriguez, you know, now in my top 15, is he that high for you in your, in your, in your running back ranks? Well, to be completely transparent here, I have my rookie rankings on the screen with me right now. Nice. Uh, I'm looking at Chris Rodriguez at RB19. And okay. after I got done talking while you were, you started talking, I was like, what is he doing down there? So then yeah. I, I, I moved him up to RB15. Yeah. Right behind Deuce Vaughn, but well within the range of guys who could like conceivably be something in the NFL. Uh, because I think Kirst Rodriguez could conceivably be something in the NFL. So yeah, I, I have him at RB15 as of one minute ago. So I had I had Jared Smola on the show and I played a dirty trick on him. And I said, Hey, listen to this, listen to this um player profile. And I gave him this profile of this running back. The, the BMI, the college target share, the dominance, the, the per carry dominance, the early breakout. And I said, what do you think if a player had that profile? You'd be like, dude, close to RB1. And I said, what if I told you he's 5'5", 178? And, yeah. you know, <laughs> he was like, oh, fuck you. You did that to me, you know? And it's Deuce Vaughn. Like, if, if Deuce Vaughn would be RB one if he was if he were big as Bijan, I mean this kid is yeah. unbelievable when it comes to what he's been able to achieve. Yet I have him like at RB seventeen. I don't know what to do with a five five hundred and seventy eight pound running back who's attempting to play football in the NFL. What say you? I say, like everybody wants it to happen. Ev- yes. Everybody loves Deuce Vaughn. Nobody yes. is a Deuce Vaughn hater, no matter where they have him in their rankings. Everybody loves yes. Deuce Vaughn. But like, I don't want to be like the anti-Deuce Vaughn guy. And I, ha- <laughs> I have him higher than you have him, apparently. So maybe I'm not the anti-Deuce Vaughn guy. But I kind of feel like, what are we doing? What like, are we doing? Like, he's... If he's Tariq Cohen, which would be an awesome outcome for a guy with his profile. If he's Tariq Cohen... You're never starting him in anything but a best ball league or like a dynasty league where you've gone like super zero RB and are just like throwing dudes into your lineup. Like he's he's never going to start for you. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope he can be Darren Sproles and is like, you know, a PPR option for, you know, five plus years. But Darren Sproles was what, six, seven, eight pounds bigger than this. Uh He's yeah. also a complete outlier. Like Darren Sproles was a complete outlier. There's I, I, you, this Deuce Vaughn situation is just hard for me to figure out, you know, when it's okay to actually push the button for him because it feels like a wasted pick. Not because, again, the, the, I love him, just the whole thing. It is some of the most fun film to watch. Like when you watch highlights or a film or a game tape or whatever of Deuce Vaughn, you're like, that guy's fucking awesome. Um, but mm-hmm. against NFL speed and quickness, that advantage mutes itself uh, enough, I think, where the size implications become. And here's another one. Look, at the end of the day, we talk about players being pigeonholed by the usage of the of the coaching anatomy of, you know, of the NFL. They're, they're not going to look at him and be like, yeah, nope, 20 carries. Put him in there. Fucking starter. <laughs> yeah. Put him in. It's just never going to happen. I, I can't imagine. It would have to be this amazing like – Chris Rodriguez has a better chance of 20 carries in year one than, than, uh, than Deuce Vaughn does. Uh, oh, no doubt. You know, I mean, it just doesn't even – so how do I – Chris Rodriguez 
Chris Rodriguez has a better shot at getting 20 carries in a game during his rookie yeah. season than Deuce Vaughn has of getting 20 carries all season in his rookie yeah. season. You're probably right. You're probably right. That's how bad it is. <laughs> and it feels terrible because like, you're right. Everybody, everybody loves Deuce Vaughn. So, all right. So we see him the same. What about another one? While we're down here kicking dirt on people before we lift someone up, I, what are your thoughts about Kenny McIntosh? Yeah, Kenny McIntosh is I, – I haven't watched film on Kenny McIntosh. I don't even know if I feel like I need to. I feel like I got the gist. He's not going right. to run the ball in the NFL really. Thank you. Uh, he, you know, he's apparently tall and skinny. He was like 204 uh, at the pro day or the combine or whatever. He's not very fast. He ran like mid 4'6". Uh, yeah. And that would be like the most generous uh, of, his, of the various reported times. Some of them were like yes. mid 4'7". Um, I think he's a legitimately dynamic pass catcher and he can make people miss in the open field. He's got some Alvin Kamara like quality to him as like a mover out in space where it's just like these herky jerky weird movements where he's he's tough to tackle Um, and he can run routes downfield, you know, angle routes over the middle, wheel routes up the sideline, things like that. Um, But yeah, I really don't think he has any value on the ground. Um, Right. And even even the guys we think of in that way who are successful NFL backs like. I don't know, Kenyon Drake or, you know, Charles Sims or, you know, somebody like that. Like Kenyon Drake was actually a decent runner for a little bit uh, where Kenny McIntosh just has never been. And so we're hoping for, I, I, I don't know. What are we hoping for? Theoretic, I guess. I guess. I don't, and I guess Ky- the, the, Kyron the Williams, only, the only way, <laughs> right. Kyron Williams greater than Kenny McIntosh. Um, I think the only hope you have of Kenny McIntosh is if he's almost like, rostered by an NFL team like a wide receiver who has running back utility. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, Curtis Samuel, I'm not saying he's not as good as fucking Curtis Samuel, but like where he kind of is like a, a wide receiver who plays slot, plays this, does a few things. And like, you know, they're in five wide. Next thing you know, he's in the backfield pass block. Like, but that's mm-hmm. not anything of value. I just don't, you're right. I don't see him ca- carrying the ball. Let's get off Kenny McIntosh. What about Chase Brown? Is that another guy that you're, wh- where are you, where do you have Chase Brown? How do you feel about him given his sort of really terrible pass blocking uh, grade on film and then really flaming out at the uh, senior bowl doing the same that, that really limits his uh, utilization at the next level unless someone feels like they can coach him up at that. Or what do you think? Yeah, I I have Chase Brown outside my top 15, just ahead of Kenny McIntosh. Um, And he's a guy where, like, his testing doesn't match what he did on the field at all. He doesn't, uh, like, either in the numbers, like, he's this explosive, fast athlete, what he comped to, like, Jarek McKinnon as an athlete. Uh, He doesn't run like that. Like, he's not particularly good in the open field. He's not very powerful. Uh, he doesn't even look very explosive. He's not very big and strong. Like I know he's like a right. cut up dude, but he he doesn't run with a lot of power. And his his like efficiency numbers look fine. Um, he wasn't playing great, you know, relative to great backfields there at Western Michigan and and Illinois. Um, right. But but he's a guy where it's just like, uh, on film even like with with my grades, he was a guy where he wasn't adding a lot of value. From a decision-making standpoint, he's just kind of riding the wave of whatever happens in front of him and then hitting a hole. Like, he's not fucking up, but right. he, he, just, he just feels like the jaggiest of jags to me. 
Yes. Um, yeah, I don't. I I'm agree. not super interested, honestly. I agree. So, so we're 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 doing great because this is the advice that we've been giving that I've been giving on the pod, you know, for quite some time. So I'm 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 happy to hear. Now, the one that uh, you mentioned a little earlier that is is uh, ranks high in in some of your metrics that I'm unsure of because of some of the small school limitations and sizes is Keaton Mitchell, but he's super enticing. What do you make of Keaton Mitchell, and how how should we be viewing him uh, in this class? Yeah, I'm not a Keaton Mitchell guy really at all. Uh, yeah. He is small. He's he's the same size as Deuce Vaughn is, I think, right. but he's taller. So he's 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 skinny while also being super small. Yeah, um, and he's he's obviously really fast, but uh, and was super efficient in college. But he's a run bouncer. Like we talk about, you know, small running backs. Uh, you know, not being good in between the tackles and being afraid of contact and just bouncing everything outside. That's not a chain. That is Keaton Mitchell. And so right. we don't really have much evidence that he can be an actual running back in the NFL doing things that actual NFL running backs are going to be asked to do. Uh, can he pass block? Probably not. Uh, is there this evidence that he's some elite pass catcher? No, it seems like he can catch swing passes and make things happen because he's fast. But I don't think an NFL team is going to put him on the field if that's the extent of what he can do in the passing game, while also not adding any value as a pass blocker and also not having proven to be capable of running really any NFL type concepts on the ground other than get a handoff and sprint to the sideline and, and you know, turn up the field. Uh, I would guy. imagine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He could be a kick returner, yeah. a punt returner. Yeah. I, I would imagine he'll be excellent at that, um, assuming yep. he can catch a punt. But that's right. I have no idea if that's possible for him, but I'm with you a thousand percent. Dude, we are, we are lighting it up right now because now we're not going to be arguing about any of these back end guys. I think <laughs> we've kind of locked in the top 15 that we're at least, at least I'm not going to be like, well, you have Keaton Mitchell at four or something. You know what I mean, we're good. <laughs> right. We're good. We, whew, we can exhale. We're good. You're not going to throw me any Mohammed Ibrahims uh, in my face. You're not doing it. Absolutely I'm, I'm happy. Not. No, thank God. Okay, so it really does come down to some of the guys. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give us some groups of guys because I think I group these people these players together in a way. Um, and one of the groups of players I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you right now. These are there's four of them, and these are guys who are big enough with enough upside to actually be, you know traditional bell cow um you know nfl running backs and it's zach charbonnet kendra miller roshan johnson and izzy abanacanda i have those four guys literally back to back in my rankings i have them three through six and i i'm a size guy i i need my backs to be big that's why i have them there right now um i'm not saying i don't like the the smaller guys we'll get to them but can you help me with these with these four and what you think based off of what you've seen? Yeah, I have I have Charbonnet and Roshan back to back, just outside my top five or straddling my top five, and then I have Kendra Miller and Izzy Abanacanda at twelve and thirteen. Um, but but there but there's there's a big break there. But that's part of the group where like. It's fairly interchangeable. If sure, if you told me that Kendra Miller and Izzy Abanacanda turned out to be the RB 
seven and eight in this class, and that's where I actually should have had them, I would not be shocked. Um, but kind of the the differentiator to me for these guys is uh, a Banacanda needs a good situation. Agreed. He's not. I, I think he's one of the least or, or one of the most situation dependent running backs Agreed. in this class. But he's also one of the guys who would be able to maximize a good situation the best. Yes, um, that's well so, put. Yeah, the, the circumstances needed for him hitting, uh, given that he's like not a very creative runner behind the line of scrimmage, he's a guy who also just follows a block, sees a hole, hits it, and he's either gone or not. Um, but if he ends up on a team with a good, you know, good offensive line, um, if he ended up in Philadelphia and like Rashad Penny got hurt, Izzy Abanacanda could run for a thousand yards as yeah. as a rookie. Um, but he's very situation dependent. And so I, I, I don't, I'm not as high on him. Kendra Miller, I don't know if he's situation dependent, but I really wish we got to see what his athleticism numbers look like, yeah. um, particularly, uh, for explosiveness and agilities. I think I'm fairly bought into him being fast given like the GPS times we have for Agree. him. Yes. Um, but he, he's a guy who I wasn't impressed with his decision-making or his vision and things like that at the line of scrimmage, but he is so good and runs so hard, like as a tackle breaker and through contact, just fighting for every inch. I think yep. somebody's going to like that. I just don't know if he's, if he's going to be able to put that, put enough together to be like a starting running back um, in that archetype versus a guy that the fans love who just comes in like, eight times a game and breaks 16 tackles every time he touches the ball. Like, <laughs> yeah, those are, those are both fun players. Only one of them is useful in fantasy football. Um, yeah. so that's kind of my, my thing with Miller. I'm not sure if he can ever put it together. Uh, but then Charbonnet and Johnson, uh, I could be convinced to go Johnson ahead of Charbonnet. I'm in the middle of my Roshan Johnson film study right now. And I just like him more and more. Every time I see him, he's one of these high success rate guys who, uh, you know, his relative success rate is relative to the other backs at Texas, which includes Bijan Robinson, includes Keontae Ingram, um, yes. includes some some talented young players from the last couple of years. And Roshan Johnson, uh, if I find him here, 5.9% relative success rate. He's succeeding on nearly 6% more of his carries than the collective other guys at Texas, including the guy that we all think, you know, or, you know, we collectively think is like the best running back prospect ever. That's pretty yeah. damn good. <laughs> To be right. churning out positive yards more than Bijan is. So, right. and, and Roshan Johnson has the pass blocking. He's big. We assume he can handle a workload even though he hasn't done it. I think that's, that's a decent assumption. Um, he a contributes in the assumption. passing game well. Yeah, Roshan Johnson is like a cleaner version, I think, of what Charbonnet is. Charbonnet is just a guy that we've seen it from before because Roshan never got the chance. So th they're kind of similar in my mind, even though they're not direct comps of each other. They kind of check some of the same boxes. I just have Charbonnet one spot higher in my rankings, I think, because uh, Roshan is a little bit more of a projection on seeing it um, at, at a high volume where we've already done that with Charbonnet. Yeah, and I think I think what you've done is is and I have no problem with it. And if we're you know talking about it, I, I understand it. Charbonnet and John and Roshan are like you know, finished products, if you will, whereas Kendra Miller and Israel Abanacanda are upside projections to some degree. And, and I yeah. see that. I get that. Um, and then you took some of the other guys, I assume, even uh, Sean Tucker and Tajay Spears and Zach Evans and moved them ahead of Abanacanda and Kendra Miller. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I have Sean Tucker right ahead of Miller. Um, 
he, he that's kind of a group of four that I that I stick with. Bigsby, Tucker, Miller, and Abanacanda are all yeah. guys who I'm like wouldn't be shocked if he's like an RB two for a couple seasons. Wouldn't be shocked if he like never does anything. It, it like like if if Sean Tucker or Kendry Miller turned into like had like a Keyshawn Vaughn career arc, I Don't would not it. be shocked. But Don't do but it. I Don't I, do I, it. I also wouldn't be shocked if like either if like Bigsby was the Tyler Algier of 2023 that wouldn't surprise me either like i think he's fully capable of being a starting running back in the nfl in the right situation in the hypothetical world where some of his issues get sorted out uh but i could also see you know these same guys miller abanacanda just like not doing anything um evans i have significantly higher just because i think he's really good um and i think the other guy you mentioned is spears who yeah I have a hard time knowing where to put him. Um, yes. Medicals are a, are a part of that, but I think he's he's sort of like Kendra Miller, where he's just awesome in the open field and not great at the line of scrimmage in my mind. But he also has the pass catching um, that allows him to play all three downs, where I'm not sure that that's the case for Kendra Miller. Yeah. I mean, it's like you can go up and down. I mean, the Zach Evans issue that I have is certainly not – he. he it's a size again. I mean, where let me look at Zach Evans. Where is his um you know, he's a 28.2. He's tall and skinny. I mean, you know, he's 5'11, mm-hmm. 202. That's not optimal, especially because he wasn't, you know, a prolific pass catcher. I mean, he only had 30 receptions in his entire collegiate career. That's not great. Um he was electric with his carries. I imagine he scores very high in your bay and success rate rating cuz he was uh, almost seven yards of carry for his entire co- collegiate career. And he played with some other uh, very, very high level players. So I, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a tough one for me to put, uh, you know, to place in my rankings because of the reason that you're talking about. It's like, he looks really good, but some of these college players just won't translate because of some reason or another. And with Izzy mm-hmm. Abanacan, it could be that he's just not nuanced enough with, you know, Kendra Miller. We, we have a lot of questions, including his, his athleticism, which I agree with you. I think he's actually quite an athlete. I'm, I'm really high on, on Kendra, but he's coming in hurt already. Um, you know, Sean Tucker's the one. I'd love to hear what you have to say about what your data sort of reveals to you, you know, the Bay rating and uh, success rate and, you know, all, all the stuff that you kind of look at. If you can share a little bit about Sean Tucker, uh, I, I'm curious. Yeah, he looks uh... – I haven't done like focused studies on thresholds and things like that for Bay rating and relative success rate, but just kind of anecdotally, I've noticed like the 120% mark is where you want to be for Bay rating right around 3% is where you want to be for relative success rate or higher. Right. Uh, Sean Tucker's at 115% and at 4.3%. So he's, he's nearly there with Bay rating. And I don't think his issue is, uh, so, 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 so for most guys, if you have like a high, high success rate and a relatively low Bay rating, you're like a Roshan Johnson type. You're a, you're a Brian Robinson type who's grinding out tough yards, right. but not like super dynamic and explosive. That's not Sean Tucker's issue. And so I, I don't think there's this, this thought in my mind of like, oh, he's, he's going to be able to grind out yards, but like not do much beyond that. It's, it's almost the opposite. So his, his statistical profile is kind of strange. I yes. also think his his analytical profile as a receiver is kind of strange, where he's high volume but doesn't actually look like he's that good given the ways he was used. 
and things like that. But talk a, talk a little bit about the, the the receiving profile because a couple of the things I've been looking at, and I don't have a dot on something that I've got here, and I know you're going to share that um, because one of one of the things that you do really well is uh, identify the the, um, uh, the the way that they're used in the pass game. I will tell you his yards per team pass attempt, uh, his best season was better than Bijan, you know, better than Charbonnet, better than a lot of guys. He was uh, almost a yard per team pass temp, 0.89, which is actually very, very good in the class. Players over one were like Gibbs and uh, Deuce Vaughn, uh, Evan Hull, of course. Um, But, you know, most players don't get there. So he was really, really high in that regard. He was uh, basically 9.7 yards per reception for his career. Pretty good. He's also an early declare who ran a, What's he running? He's got a run here on the 24th, I think, officially, but he's most likely a 4-4 player at least. I mean, they're saying he might run faster than that. We'll see about all that. Um, he does have a 30-plus BMI. He's only 207 pounds, but at 5'9", that's very good. Uh, he had a 1,700-yard uh, total yard season as a true sophomore, also a huge indicator of, of, of success. So a lot of those things lead me to want to like uh, Sean Tucker because he just identifies himself uh, 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 as a you know uh, Dalvin Cook or something like that when you when you look at him statistically. Um, but what about some of the pass catching stuff? Because I think he's going to be need to be used as a pass catcher at the next level in order for him to pay off. Yeah, I think he's decent as a pass catcher. Um, his like catch rate and stuff was never awesome, but I also know he didn't play like, I I mean, this is not an issue unique to him, but like his quarterback was not some NFL level quarterback who's delivering, you know, passes on time and on target on a regular basis. But, uh, his a dot was 1.2. He was used a lot on, on wheel routes, um, in particular, uh, just for, for reference, the average college running back, has the wheel route, which is coming out of the backfield, you know, sprinting up the sideline, uh, make up 5.5% of their total routes uh, in a given season. Sean Tucker had the wheel route make up 10.2% of his total routes last season. So he's running a lot of those, um, more angle routes than normal, but but most of his work is in, is in the flat, um, you know, little swing passes, things like that, um, a decent... Um, an, an above average rate of screen passes in every year of his career. And these aren't bad things. It's good that he can catch the ball and make things happen out in space. But uh, based on what the numbers say and, um, you know, kind of what people who are better at evaluating running back receiving skills on film than I am um, say is that he's not, he's not Jameer Gibbs. He's not Deuce Vaughn, like despite what his, his target share numbers and things like that look like 15.5% target share is right up is, is higher than a chain, higher than Bigsby right up there with Gibbs at 15.8. Um, he's one of these guys who it's not like he's fraudulent as a receiver, but I, I think he's probably o- closer. To comp- yeah. Yeah. He, he he's competent, but not great. Yes. Um, and then at, like as a runner, my first, my, the first time I was exposed to him, um, actually watching film was a game from I think it was his sophomore season and I was not impressed like I know that that was his his super efficient year his really productive year but I was not really impressed it seemed like he didn't have much discipline was just like pedal to the metal at all times uh, bouncing things to the outside um, and then I watched games from 2022 and he looked way more under control yeah making good decisions at the line of scrimmage like playing within himself and within the structure of the play. 
but he also wasn't as efficient last season. And it's so it's it's tough to know. Like, is he just kind of working through learning how to play running back against his natural instincts that won't be able to work against greater competition? And so he's kind of retraining himself. I think that's a you know a reasonable probable you know a reasonable take. And so I'm open to Sean Tucker being a starting level NFL running back. There's just so much confusing stuff in his profile that it's hard to have a strong take either way. And I've kind of landed on like he's he's probably somewhere on like the Bilal Powell, uh, Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson spectrum as like a somewhat undersized guy who's explosive, competent in the passing game, but probably not suited for like, you know, starting level work as the as the one A. He's, he's probably a 1B type of guy. Very interesting. He, uh, he, well, we wouldn't have thought that after his sophomore season, I suppose, but that's why Mr. Noah Hills is here to pour all sorts of cold water on Mr. Game Theory's takes. Uh, no, I'm joking. But Zach Evans is a guy that you do like. And, you know, again, the only real criticism, well, I've got more than one. I mean, Zach Evans has been faded, I think. I, you know, I'm always willing. I, I took Zach Evans in a, in a mock. Uh, that we did with player profiler the other day, the other last week where, you know, he fl- fell all the way to the two eleven, and I was like, yeah, let's just go ahead and take him there. So I think sometimes he gets faded um, maybe a little bit too far. Um, and so for that reason, you know, I think he's going to be a value in rookie drafts. Do you think he's going to get the draft capital one? And then two sort of tell us why you like Zach Evans uh, so much in this class. Yeah, to that first question, I have no idea if he's going to get no, the draft right. capital. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him be like a a, a second round pick. That I, I'm not expecting that, but it wouldn't shock me. Right. It also wouldn't shock me to see him drop to like the sixth round. Yeah, I um, know, and right? I think that's exactly. because I feel the same way. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just hard to get a grasp on. Um, and the the reason I like Zach Evans is because when I watch it, well, first his numbers are are pretty damn good. He's like right at that one hundred twenty percent threshold. He's his relative success rate's like four or five percent or something. Um, but it's I, I I mean especially in the context of the players that he was sharing backfields with, Quinshawn Judkins we know is a beast. Kendra Miller was a a really good college running back. Um, and to be impressive on a per touch basis relative to those really talented teammates. Uh, is is not easy. And then when I watch him on film, he's one of the most powerful running backs in this class. I was personally impressed by um, his ability to navigate the line of scrimmage and make good decisions um, within the structure of plays. And a lot of a lot of people I respect as film watchers thought the same thing. I know a lot of people I respect thought the opposite. And so yeah. it's it's kind of uh, Schrodinger's Zach Evans here with with what he looks like on film, but I was personally impressed. And then the reason I'm bought in, despite all of the kind of uh, ancillary things looking bad for him, is that I think there are like legitimate explanations for all of those things that that like make logical sense. Uh, like the size, he was 202 at the combine. Um, okay, lots of guys drop weight. He didn't he didn't run because he was hurt. Uh, so he showed up at 202 pounds. Uh, then he ran his pro day like three weeks later or, you know, four weeks later, whatever it was. We didn't get an official weight out of that as as far as I remember. I might check out uh, Dane Brugler's Beast um, for that. But 
Um, as far as I know, we don't have an official weight from that, but his agent said he weighed 208. Uh, he ran like a 446 or a 45, you know, whatever it was. And I think it's conceivable, like this is a guy who was listed at 212 pounds at TCU and then 215 pounds at Ole Miss. Either we've got two different schools who are like cooking the books to make this guy look bigger than he is, one of which chose a fairly random number at 212 to pump him up to. Um, so either that's the situation or he is. actually – Really? I think it is. Uh, yeah, because the thing about it was, first of all, he was 202 202- – on real on a real fucking scale, number one. That 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 combine yeah. scale is real. And he wasn't running that day. Secondly, it was like he was um in uh pro football reference has mm-hmm. their college version, yeah, whatever yeah, it's called. Yeah, he was he's, he's at 195 there. 195 there. So I don't know what what, what are they what what's their motivation? Like they don't give a shit. He was listed at, I believe, 195 as a freshman. freshman. I can check it. I have it. I have it right here. He was listed at 195 as a freshman after being listed at 200 as a recruit. So my guess with the with the sports reference page is that they don't update those on a yearly basis, uh, or they're not like automatically agreed, being fed from some database. So they might have just done it when he was a freshman. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But I, I don't. A lot of people were saying he's like 215. I just don't think he was 215. You know, and and, sure. and honestly, if he's trying to weigh in, he knew he wasn't going to run at the combine. Why not just put on a bunch of weight, water weight even? Like you can drink a gallon of water before you get up on the fucking scale and, and, and you know, and get to 207, 208. So I don't know why, you know, maybe I just had to take a real big shit before he went on. I don't know. <laughs> but 202 yeah. is very light for him, you know, and 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 I always I always just kind of defer to the combine. Like I know there's guys who put on weight, i.e. Bryce Young, I'm sure – is never mm-hmm. going to weigh 204 during a game in his rookie year unless he puts on weight. I mean, there's no way he was playing at 204 at Alabama, but God bless him. He did it. He got <laughs> up on that scale and weighed it. So he weighs what he weighs. You know what I mean? I, I'm just going to look right. at that combine number, and that's what the motherfucker weighs. I'm not going to make excuses lighter or heavier for any of these players because there has to be uniformity. You know what I mean? And so that's what I'm using. But I, I hear you. I've heard a lot of people say he weighed more than that. I've just never seen him weigh more than that. Well, to be clear, I, I I'm not going to claim that he weighed more than that on the field. I don't know what he played at. My yeah. guess is he played somewhere between 205, maybe in the 210 range, something like that. Like that's what he looks like to me on film. Um but I also think uh go, like the same the same kind of thought process with A-chain is like why should we care about size? And number 1 is because of the way it affects the way players play on the field. And regardless of what Zach Evans, he could have weighed, he could have been 170 pounds at Ole Miss last season. And he still, based on my film charting, was one of the most powerful running backs in this class. Whether yeah, he was, a, he's a dog. One, yeah, whether he was 202, 208, 215, 212, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. He was, he, he runs powerfully. He's, he's a beast behind his pads and he runs hard. Um, Yep. And so as far as far as how it's affecting him on the field, I don't think it is negatively at all. I mean, I, I guess hypothetically he could be more powerful. He was 230, but sure, he's sure. already he's he's already one of the most powerful runners in this class. And then the other side of it is can he hold up to a workload? That's a little dubious with him. And I don't know that that's a size thing, but he's been hurt kind of throughout, you know, on and off throughout his college career. And then it's what do NFL what are NFL coaches going to think about his size? And if he was 202 at the combine and then if he was something different at his pro day, NFL personnel, people are going to know that. I think they're going to know what he played at in college. So I don't know that 
the 202 is necessarily going to be gospel to somebody in an NFL personnel department. Um, but they'll be able to see him on the practice field, whoever, you know, whoever selects him. And so whatever happens with his size as far as his NFL role is what's going to happen. But I think just based on the way that he's able, like how successful is he on the field? Uh, his, his size is not, is not hurting him. And so right. in that regard, uh, he, I, I, he's not, he's not a small running back to me. Yeah. I comped him to, uh, Isaiah Pacheco a bit. Uh, I know mm-hmm. Pacheco is even faster, but I'm just talking running style and some somewhat, you know, body and, and utilization in the NFL because he was again, not a pass catching weapon. And, you know, I'm not so sure that he's going to get a ton of that. I mean, Pacheco gets a little bit of this here and there, but it's all just sort of dump offs and stuff like that. He's not a downfield pass catching weapon. Um, Look, Evans was very good on a per-play basis. I mean, he was even almost 11 yards per catch. Granted, only 30 catches, but he was uh, uh, you know, 10.8 per catch over his career. He was 7 yards per carry over his career. It's very fucking good. But what do we say, if anything, about the fact that he was kind of played off the field by two other running backs in terms of you know Kendra Miller getting him to transfer and, and Judkins, who is clearly the, the favorite uh, of the coaching staff. You mentioned coaches in the NFL. Well, he had two college coaches that didn't necessarily elevate him to this sort of lead back. Um, why do we expect it to happen in the NFL? Or is that just a bunch of noise in your opinion? Yeah, I think there's a couple angles here and I want to kind of touch on each of them. Um, the first one, I think it's a little bit of a misconception that Kendra Miller uh, was like outplayed or lost his job to, or, or that Zach Evans outplayed yeah. or was outplayed or lost his job to Kendra yeah. Miller. Yeah. Um, they you know, in that 2021 season, Zach Evans was the clear lead back for like the first six weeks of the season where he was out touching Kendra Miller every week by dozens of carries by the by the time his season ended with injury. And then Miller passed him by in touches after Evans's season has had had ended. And then Evans, uh, th- there was some some fuckery going on with TCU's like NIL deals. Um, Evans wanted to go to the SEC. I like. I don't think the narrative that like he was transferring to get away from Kendra Miller is probably what actually happened. Um, I think he just was a, you know, the the NL, the NIL stuff became very important for these guys looking to maximize their, their earnings potential. He transfers to, to a a bigger, more prominent uh, program, you know, that obviously TCU ended up going to the national championship game, which Evans would not have known, but right. right. uh, but then, then there's the Quinshawn Judkins thing, where Evans, I, I, I believe, uh, was playing ahead of him early on. It quickly became apparent that like Quinshawn's at least as good as Evans, and then, you know, maybe passed him by. Evans dealt with some injuries along the way, and by the end of the season, it was Quinshawn as the one, Evans as the clear two in you know like a sixty forty split. Um, and so, I, I think it's. It's not necessarily true that Evans just straight up got outplayed by Quinshawn. There were some injuries he, there. He, didn't. he, but, he was but, better on a per touch basis. I'll give you that. Like that's my exactly, whole point. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So I'm with you and like it's like crazy because Evans has been dope the whole time. Like he really has been. But something about the profile just it, it doesn't pass the smell test, if you will, because he keeps kind of, you know. He was they preferred Judkins one way or the other. I mean, mm-hmm. we can at least agree to that. Um, but yeah, it's just it's very interesting. I and then the size and the low catch, uh, you know, volume from for his career. It's just there's just so many things. And and I want to be like, let's just go Zach Evans. But I'm a, 
I guess with every one of these players, there's there's uh, something that that scares us, and and there's enough to scare us about Zach Evans. But you have him as your RB what? Uh, he's currently my RB four. Um, and, 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 and and like I completely agree. There's lots of red flags with Evans. Uh, yeah. He's there's this this small way in. There's the never. Yeah technically handling a full workload and keeping a job for an entire season. Right. Um, there was, you know, the, the character concerns thing that follows him from the cell phone incident in high school, like w- whatever yeah. it like, like typically there's where there's something. smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where there's smoke, there's fire. I think typically, but Evans in particular is, is like a, a, a house that just has smoke coming out the windows. But when you walk in, like there's, Where's the fire? Like everything <laughs> yeah. looks fine. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. He's got some nice furniture. That's for sure. I mean, he does. Yeah. No, I, I I'm, I'm ready to look. I, I, I talked about, I talk about like Zach Evans, Tank Bigsby and Sean Tucker. Those mm-hmm. three guys were sort of the Debbie darlings. You know what I mean? They were like, yeah, it was, it, you know, supposed to be Gibbs, Bijan, Tucker, Evans and, and, and Bigsby, you know, this, this running back class of 2023. And now it's like, you know, if you had those five as your top five, people are like, are you sure, bro? But that would have been the top five, like, you know, after their freshman seasons or whatever, you know? So I think there's something to be said for him as a, as a prospect Um, and you know, his explosion and the way that he plays certainly translates. I just don't know if he's going to be a three down back. And in, in a PPR format, which is what most of us play, or at least some sort of version of PPR, you know, I would like for him to have a bit better passing uh, passing game profile. Um, that that concerns me. Um, you know, and, and with Evans, you know, we've, we've said it all. But, you know, some of the other guys that you'd mentioned and some of the things that I, I, you know, you and I are always trying to reach for, you know, we were famous famously on Julius Chestnut. There's always these guys that are in smaller schools. We, we, uh, we unearthed... Uh, you know, Elijah Mitchell a couple years ago, that was one of the guys I looked a little bit deeper with. And, and this year the, the deep cuts rose to the top, especially with a guy like Tajay Spears. Uh, Dwayne McBride is someone you mentioned early in the show. And Dwayne McBride is like one of these guys. He He's sort of my Damian Pierce this year, which is like a guy that, you know, you know, he's just a, he's a rugged son of a gun. Who's going to run you over. He's a real good runner of the football I, I'm curious as to see where he lands, but Tajay got all the senior bowl smoke and he's just a f- cool name. Uh, looks really fun to watch. You know, he's one of those guys that you'd, you'd make him on the Madden game, you know, create a player, you'd create yeah, Tajay yeah. Spears and that motherfucker would be running for you. So, you know, there's, a, there's a couple of these guys, maybe a couple others you might want to mention, but let's start with Spears. What are your thoughts about Tajay uh, and what he can become at the next level? Yeah, he's he's been a tough guy for me to kind of wrap my head around until until recently. I say that as if I have some strong grasp on him. I I still kind of yeah. go back and forth. Um yeah. but he I think he's a good I think he's a good pass catcher and he's definitely really nice out in space. He's one of the yeah. one of the best tackle breakers in this class. He's got some of that like Alvin Kamara weird slipperiness to him. Um he's one of the most like I know he's not super fast. Uh, I think yeah, he was he explosive in the jumps and stuff. But he he has the athleticism that like the athletic tests don't measure. Like he's just coordinated and well balanced and has like good a good like spatial sense on the sideline and you know in his periphery and like he's just has really good instincts out in space. I I am not super convinced of his ability to 
be like a, a two down high volume runner. I think he can do that in spurts. Um, and so, so Ty J Spears is a guy who I think is on the Michael Carter to Dion Lewis spectrum somewhere in there. Um, I know some people comp him to Aaron Jones. Yeah, that's uh, what I, I, I mean, that's the high end comp I've comped him. Yeah. To. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I could see that, that on the high end. Um, but I probably default to like the Dion Lewis comp a little bit more as far as how I expect him to produce in the NFL and a guy who's like a decent approximation of his of his skill set. Um, so so I like Spears. There's the other thing is that there's the medicals where he's yeah. I think he tore an ACL in high school, tore an ACL in college. It's tough well, to know what now. to do. They're all fixed up. What, we yeah we, we hope so. We <laughs> hope I'm so. Just, I'm just being. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, who who knows if he even checks out medically for NFL teams? It, you know, maybe he drops to the sixth round because people are like, "Is a good player who we're not sure can stay healthy." Um, yes. But when on the field, I think he's probably one of the more dynamic backs in this class. Yeah, there's been this this mystery player that a couple of the big uh, like I don't remember if it was Schefter or whomever I don't remember it doesn't matter. But someone was like, yeah. "Oh, there's a there's a running back with these medicals that's going to fall or something." I, mm-hmm. And you know, it's been. You know, everybody's retweeted it with their own guesses. I've done it once with Sean Tucker. And, you know, there's been a, a little bit of word that, you know, hey, if Sean Tucker's going to run here on the 24th and, you know, it's not him, you know, he's fine. And it's been Kendra Miller maybe because he's been, you know, he basically had surgery right after the the season and didn't do any of the offseason stuff. He didn't have a pro day, didn't have a, a, a showing at the combine. Could be Kendra Miller. There's some who think it could be Tajay Spears, and Tajay Spears is a medical red flag at the NFL level. I really don't know. That's where draft capital sort of sorts this shit out. You know, mm-hmm. Aaron Jones was a fifth round pick. Um, you know, he didn't have any of the medical stuff sort of following him around as far as I can remember. But, you know, we all loved Aaron Jones in that draft. Um, we'll love Tajay to some degree, to a lesser degree to be square. But he, he does look a lot like him, that sort of mid four five forty. And great burst. Um, and as you say, great agility. Um, they don't do the agility testing anymore, so we have no idea. But yeah. we can assume, based off his skill set, that he would test well as, a, as an agile runner. Um, so I do think that the high-end Aaron – of course, Aaron Jones hit. You know, there were times that with Aaron Jones where we were like – you know, we were we were concerned that he wasn't going to get in the game. I mean, you remember it was he was right. playing behind Jamal Williams and not getting enough playing time, et cetera, et cetera. So – all that being said, it's it's it, it was possible that Aaron Jones didn't become Aaron Jones. Right. Yeah. It, and I do think despite the NFL in the last five or six years, you know, since Aaron Jones was drafted specifically, uh, teams are drafting running backs later and later. I feel like Aaron Jones is the type of guy who would now get drafted on day two. Yeah. Because teams are better at figuring out which of, you know, kind of the later guys is going to be going to be interesting aaron jones just had a rock solid profile and it doesn't make sense that he fell to the fifth uh i have to believe that nfl teams would would be more in on him now and so i kind of think spears is if he checks out medically given the buzz we've heard from the senior bowl and things like that like nfl the people who are plugged in or who are you know kind of circled the nfl most closely seem to be in on tajay spears and so i would not be surprised if if he's like a, a day two guy you know, around yeah, three, around three player. If the medicals check out, it's possible. He's, he's another one of these guys. Like I, I'm telling you just all these low BMI. I mean, you remember, you know, look, uh, Aaron Jones was, uh, gosh, I'm going to look real quick, but Tajay Spears, 28.8 BMI 
um, Aaron Jones was 30.7. You yeah, know, he's like this, 208, I think. Yes, 208, 5'9", an inch shorter, almost 10 pounds heavier. Look, I, I know these people, you know, people look, hear me say this shit and like, come on, Jax, this is ridiculous. But look, that 30 plus or minus, if you're over 30, you've got a good BMI. If you're under 30, okay, well, we well, <laughs> let's talk about this. I mean, you know, and so when you're under 29, it's like you're really starting to become a, a you know a, a B player in the NFL and very very unlikely to lead a backfield. And for those reasons, Tajay and Zach Evans and uh, Devon A. Chain and even to some degree Jameer Gibbs all give me a little bit of the heebie-jeebies. At least as a group, all four of those guys are not coming in and, and leading backfields. Let me just tell you that. Yeah, I, I, I want to talk about Gibbs a little bit. Um, I wrote an article about him that came out, I think, on Tuesday. Uh, yeah. But I'm not anti-Gibbs, but I do think I'm slightly lower on Gibbs than most, or at least a little bit more apprehensive on Gibbs. And I think it's yeah. kind of same thing with A-Chain, similar thing with Evans. It's like there's these super talented players or guys who are seemingly super talented, but yes. we don't have a lot of precedent for. Like, like all the guys that we think are like Jameer Gibbs aren't really like Jameer Gibbs. Like Agreed. Alvin Kamara is 15 pounds heavier than him. Even DeAndre Swift is like 10, 12 pounds heavier than him. Aaron yep. Jones is eight, nine pounds heavier than him. Uh, Naeem Hines, Chris Thompson, Theo, like all these satellite back types that are like kind of the same type of player. Gibbs is just way better than them out in space. You know, he, he's just obviously was a better college player than them. Uh, and then there's, you got to go back like to Reggie Bush uh, yep, is kind like, of the usage yep. comp that I've landed on. But even he was like super efficient as a college runner, had like 240 touches in a season. Gibbs was never efficient as a runner and never had even 200 touches. Like any guy you can kind of point to was either way better as a runner, not as good as a receiver, uh, or was like an actual high volume back in college where we don't have the same questions that we have with Gibbs of, you know, can he run inside? And can he be a high volume rusher? We're kind of just projecting him to be like the best satellite back we've ever seen, which I I suppose is possible. But what does the best satellite back we've ever seen mean in fantasy football? We don't know because we've never seen it before. And so it's a little bit tough to buy into that as like the no doubt clear cut RB2 in this class when it's like, Sure. If Naeem Hines was way better, I'd be more interested in a satellite back in fantasy football. But what does super good Naeem Hines do? Like, right. And I'm not saying I'm not saying he'd do poorly. I'm saying I have no idea what to think about that player. Yeah, he's he's in the CJ Spiller, Reggie Bush sort of, you know, phylum. And 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 that's the point is like neither one of those guys ever really led a backfield. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. will point to Jamal Charles. It's like again, outlier. It's like basically using the Darren Sproles to, to get Deuce Vaughn there. It's like, it's hard, you know, whereas it's way easier to and find Roshan Johnson successful comps. You're like, oh yeah, just a bunch of guys who've, you know, toted the rock 20 times a game for NFL teams for years and years. So, you know, yeah, that's the, that's the thing. And I think that's why you, you'd rather take more shots. But for me, Jameer Gibbs is all going to be about if he lands on a team uh, that throws the ball a lot. You know, because mm-hmm. if you and I are 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 saying what Jameer Gibbs is going to be, he's probably going to be an effective pass game weapon. We can probably agree on that. Um, that's the one most oh, no doubt. sort of transferable thing that we think he's going to be. So then you say, okay, he's going to have some relative target share. Okay, great, we agree. 
And then it's like, well, target share of what, right? So if he's in mm-hmm. Chicago and the target share of, you know, 300 tar- uh, pass attempts, I'm out. If it's the target right. share of Joe Burrow, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and I've been on this all Jameer Gibbs comp suck thing, so I'm going to poke holes in your Jamal Charles one also. Totally. Jamal Charles, Jamal Charles came into the league, and other than, I believe, Marion Motley, who played in the 1940s, uh, other than Marion Motley, I believe that Jamal Charles is the most efficient ball carrier running back in NFL yes. history. He All averaged right. like what over six yards per carry, five point yes. eight, something like that. Ridiculous. In the NFL, yeah, yeah. We have never seen Jameer Gibbs add value in the running game runner. to the That's level right. that we would expect of even an average running back prospect. Like he's yeah. he's never been particularly efficient on the ground. Jamal Charles was super efficient on the ground even at Texas. So like if if we're like uh, you know, these guys are basically physical clones of each other, and they kind of are. Like, they're what, yeah. 5'11, 200. They both run sub 4'4. Four, four. They both got the, you know, the hair coming out the back of the helmet. Yeah. They've got the <laughs> right. subtle elusiveness in the open field, straight line speed, pass catching. Except for Jamal Charles has always been the best value adder on a per carry basis we've ever seen. Yeah. And Gibbs doesn't even do that to the level of like Jace McClellan or Jordan Mason at Georgia Tech. It's just a tall ask for that guy to be Jamal Charles at the next level. And if we like what other what other comps can we come up with that are like that's the path to success for this guy. It's just tough to come up with one. Yeah, it's it's for me, it's definitely in the Reggie Bush, CJ Spiller rather than the, you know, Jamal Charles. But yeah, I'm with you. It's like you know, he's got to do something otherworldly to become, you know, a, a hit at the NFL level. I think he's more likely going to be, you know, as you point out, a, you know, a part-time running back, full-time pass game option. And again, I want a team that's going to throw the ball a lot because he's definitely going to be a pass game weapon. He's proven that at the very least. Um, and he does have some, you know, um, uh, you know, he, he, he's got some, a pedigree. Let's just put it that way. Right. So, yes. yeah. you know, so he's going to get some draft capital. He's going to be viewed as the sort of the number one pass game running back in this draft. That much will, we can kind of agree on how much uh, of the rest of it will he get? We already saw, you know, Deandre Swift get marginalized at the NFL level for reasons that we all didn't really see because he was a much heavier back and a much better mm-hmm. inside runner in college. So, you know, we've already seen the NFL sort of typecast these guys so we shouldn't be surprised if Jameer Gibbs, if and when Jameer Gibbs gets the same fate. Yeah, and and to be fair, for for any given running back, like if I was just picking a random running back out of all of college football, and I ended up with DeAndre Swift producing like he has in the NFL so far, I'd be thrilled. Right. But if I'm picking Jameer Gibbs at the 102, 103 in a single QB rookie draft, and he turns into DeAndre Swift, I'm either you know, smoking the copium for three years, you know, (laughs) you know, kind of convincing myself to not sell him or I'm disappointed. Right. And and so it's just tough to know, uh, especially pre landing spot, because if, yeah, if he lands somewhere that, that looks like it's going to be good, I can't think of somewhere off the top of my head right now, but like, I don't know if they trade Austin Eckler and Jameer Gibbs end up with LA, my God, he's going to catch, he's going to catch 90 balls. Uh, but if he ends up, you know, in another great offense with like the Eagles, uh, it's yeah, probably going to probably going to help him as a runner. But is he going to get pass work? Like, 
it's not going to be just as tough good. to buy in. That's right. Yeah, and and while Gibbs to Philly wouldn't be a very good landing spot for Gibbs, I would say it's a great landing spot for the aforementioned Dwayne McBride. Like that would be a great spot for him. I mean, you know, eventually Penny will probably move on. They gave him hardly anything of a contract, and you know, Gainwell is that pass down back. But if you're looking for a hammer. And in, in behind that Philly uh, offensive line tackle breaker only has to, you know, make a a, a safety or linebacker miss. Uh, Dwayne McBride would be a hell of a player there, wouldn't you think? Uh, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, he he's this is an easy comp, another convenient one, but it makes a lot of sense. I think uh, there's another running back from UAB from like eight years ago now who played, you know, was a two down back for the Philadelphia Eagles in recent years and Jordan Howard after yeah. having multiple 1,000-yard seasons with the Chicago Bears, who also entered the league um, as a pure two-down runner, efficient in college, productive in college, at a lower level of competition without catching many passes. McBride catches almost none of them. Yeah. Uh, I think McBride could be a similar, you know, fit in a similar archetype of player who's just, the only thing his team asks of him is to, you know, add value on first and second down when they call running plays. Uh, yeah. If he can fix if he can fix his fumbling issue, which doesn't strike me as an unfixable issue, um, I think he could be a really effective runner in whatever capacity, whatever role he's in, um, you know, whatever size that is in the NFL. I, I really like McBride. Yeah, me too. I mean, you you have to you know in the PPR format, you have to have a limited sort of ceiling out outlook for McBride, but I think. You know, as he as he is as a one a first and second down runner, man, oh man, he's a hammer. And on a mm-hmm. on a team like like I sort of see a Damian Harris like player, you know, or yeah. Damian Harris like on a good team, he could be a touchdown scorer and a guy who just you know a thousand yards rushing. Those five catches he's gotten from his college career will get five more uh, in in the pros, and that's it. But yeah, I, I really I really like some Dwayne McBride. Um, the people have tuned in to this show for one reason and one reason only. And it wasn't to have us talk about all <laughs> these high, big name running backs. They want to know where the fuck's the next Julius Chestnut and why haven't we already been talking about the RB1 in this class for the entire time? Because obviously it was Julius Chestnut last year. Mr. Noah Hills, who's the guy that we're going to hitch our wagon to this year? and just let him bring us home just like Julius did last year. Yeah, the guy is Aiden Bourget yes. from Harvard. And I will say, I don't think he has the upside that Chestnut has or had. Uh, obviously, Chestnut hasn't hit that yet. He made a roster, which is a, a, a big <laughs> exactly. win. Exactly. But Aiden Bourget, I think it's most helpful to think of him as like the potential next Jalen Warren. He's yes. like a, a five-foot, well, let me just find him here. He's five foot eight, two oh five. He runs four five eight, but his ten yard split is right there with A Chain, Abanacanda, Charbonnet, Gibbs, uh, you know, Bijan. He's just as explosive, like first step, you know, zero to sixty explosiveness as a lot of the best running backs in this class. And he did thirty five reps on the bench at the Harvard Pro Day. Like this dude is a workout warrior. He is a ball of muscle. He broke a ton of tackles in the Ivy League um, at the FCS level, and was you know had had a little bit of a slow start to his career. Um, he played uh, behind Aaron Shamplin or Champ 
Schlampkin. I don't remember what that dude's last name is, but he's like he's like a practice squad dude. With he's the a made up player anyway. Just say yeah, Schlampkin yeah. and it's fine. Nobody's gonna <laughs> fact check you on that shit. Just make up a name and it's totally the same difference. So he's a practice squad guy with the Colts. So that's an NFL, you know, fringe NFL talent. And so, yes. it's, you know, if if you're if you don't break out until like your junior year at Harvard, it better be because there's another NFL level player on the team. And that was the case for Borgay. But once he finally did get the backfield to himself, he was dominant on the ground, uh, obviously like a, a, a rocked up dude. And even as a freshman, there was uh, the yes. Yale or the Harvard Yale game. Yes. He went like 11 for 250 and four touchdowns. He's got decent speed. He's powerful. Like there's there's just a lot there. And he went to Harvard. He was yeah. he was a he was an academic All-American. He had like a 3.78 at Harvard or something. Like this dude is smart. He's obviously a hard worker. Obviously has has a good work ethic. And that's the kind of player you want to buy into as like a potential UDFA who can make a roster is a guy with you know, NFL BMI, uh, proof that he can be an efficient running back at some level, uh, the, you know, size and strength to, to indicate that he could translate that to the next level. And he's a smart dude. Like there aren't a lot of guys in this class, at least that I've come across who are exciting beyond the top 15. Borgay is the one potential UDFA that I think could make a roster and look, you let's, know, be let's a, say be it the a, way it is. Sneaky Let, contributor. Let's say it the way it is. Devon A. Chain never went 269 and four against Yale. Never happened. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's fucking facts. And he's got 20 pounds on Devon A. Chain. I mean, this is, he, he literally went to a better school. I mean, Harvard is the best school. So, yeah, all the data points point to, to uh, whatever his <laughs> name is, Bourget. Listen, I heard um, Cody Carpentier you know, unearth this guy. I love it. I think you and Cody mm -hmm. talked about him a little bit or whatever. You wrote a cool article. What I read your article and then I, um, I clicked on the, the, uh, the link of, for the, the game that you're talking about his freshman yeah. year against, against Yale. It's super cool because he like, it's like, Oh, handoff, handoff, it, like gone 80 yards. And then, gone 60 <laughs> yards and then gone again. And, and like, then it, somehow they lost this game. I was like, I, Watching the clips, I was like, "How the fuck did they lose this game?" And then, like in the in the fourth quarter or whatever, they like hand it to him, and the announcer goes, "Oh, finally they stopped this motherfucker!" And he somehow breaks out of the full pile for another eighty yard touchdown. You're like, yeah. "Holy shit!" That the final touchdown of that of that highlight reel is my favorite play because even the announcer's like, "Well, they finally stop him," and then somehow he squirts out of it and is gone. And you're like, "Motherfucker!" Yeah, this yeah is the guy. like he was. He was just so raw in that game, but you could yes. see the ability. Like he was, you know, an 18, 19 year old kid at the time, not yes. doing much on most of his carries, but like, no. yeah, four, like 80 yard touchdowns, breaking a billion <laughs> tackles every time he touches the ball. Like that guy four years later, now having been a lead back, like, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. It is. It's fun. I mean, kind of the whole point though, with these backs is like, just get as many as you can, because I, you know, it's going to look the, the, the NFL draft's going to going to solve a lot of the the sort of the conversations we had, you know, me having um, a and Kendra Miller, where you have, you know, sort of a chain and uh, Zach Evans. And the, the crazy thing about that is even though we sort of have those guys inverted in some sort of way, we kind of agree that they're all in this sort of one big tier, which was the overarching understanding of of how these guys win. And, 
And, you know, like, for instance, my dream scenario for a band of Canada is like round three Miami or whatever, you know, where mm-hmm. it's like perfect match. You know, they want outside zone speed backs that just kind of, you know, it'd be he'd be perfect in that Miami system. And, and you're right. There are certain landing spots where, you know, if you see your favorite player land there, it's it's really not good. It's just like Isaiah Spiller last year. Look, if he'd have gotten taken by Houston with the first pick of the fourth round, I'd have been kind of into him. But he didn't. if, if he, Isaiah Spiller, if Isaiah Spiller got taken by Houston, he would have spent last season playing behind Rex Burkhead instead ooh. of behind Austin Eckler. <laughs> Shots fired. Love it. Yeah. No, but you know what I mean, right? I mean, it would have been a <laughs> yeah, little yeah, bit yeah. more interesting. That's a good, good, good take though. But it would have been a little bit more. In- it's probably fucking true though. Oh my god. Oh my god. But um, it would have been a lot more interesting than where he did get you know, drafted, which was behind yeah, fucking sure. Austin Eckler. It was never going to, you know, and if Damian Pierce gone there, you'd have been like, eh, kind of interesting, but you know, and, and while I do think literally that Damian Pierce is a better player, it's not by that much over Isaiah Spiller. You know, it's like, you know, the, where they get drafted and, and where they land is going to matter to these backs, but opportunity is all that we need. If last year, Austin Eckler would have, you know, fucking broken his leg. Isaiah Spiller might've been a lead back for several weeks or something. So that was also in the realm of possibilities, just like a Khalil Herbert. Yeah. Assuming that Joshua Kelly also got hurt for several weeks. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> the awful Joshua Kelly was playing ahead of him. It's true. Yeah. I, I don't think Isaiah Spiller's that good. So you're not going to get any pushback from me where I'm like, <laughs> no, no, no. Joshua Kelly never would have get carries over him. He probably would have, um, uh, yeah, John Kelly might have been signed and gotten carries over Isaiah. Spiller. Yeah, I mean John John Kelly was taking touches away from Alvin Kamara at uh, at Tennessee. So <laughs> so who knows? They would have signed his ass off the street to to to, to get mm-hmm. some carries over Isaiah Spiller. There's no doubt. Um, what else we got, buddy? Is this it? I mean, have we reached the end? What Is there anybody got? else? Is there anything else we can do? Um, I mean, well, I think we covered pretty much. We covered most guys here. Like, is there, is there a guy that was a pretty good, yeah. Is there a guy that like literally, like literally the, the listeners like, how haven't they mentioned? I mean, I feel like Evan Hull Um, is our guy. Is, is Evan Hull a little bit of our guy? I think Evan Hull started as my guy. I think Evan Hull has jumped the shark a little bit, a little bit. Uh, Yeah. I I'm still into Evan Hull, but you know, Evan Hull is fine. I don't, I'm not hoping for much more beyond make a roster and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, Evan Hole has like the target share. He's got the speed score and, you know, dominator rating and, you know, kind of the basics that we want. He's big enough. Um, yeah. And so so I see it there. And he was, you know, really good in a terrible situation at Northwestern. Um, but I, despite being in early on Evan Hole, I think I, I, I want to pump the brakes a little bit and not shoot yeah. him too far up uh, into the top top 15. He's he's a fun guy. The only other guy in this class that I would say we didn't cover who I like is Tyon Evans. Yeah, I was just um, about who to mention him is, too. Yeah. He's just a, a a bowling ball. The dude is like 220, 225, runs low four five, so he's got a, a nice speed score. Um was super efficient everywhere he played. Uh community college, Tennessee, Louisville. And he also doesn't catch a ton of passes, but like yeah. Kind of like he's he's back to back with Dwayne McBride for me in my rankings where Dwayne McBride's the guy where we saw him dominate low level of competition. Can he do it at a higher level of competition? We're not so sure where Tyon Evans was good in the SEC, just not with a lot of volume. So it's kind of I meet in the middle there 
I kind of think of them them similar similarly, Tyon Evans and and uh, Dwayne McBride. You know, Dwayne McBride has two times the yards per team pass attempt than, than Tyon Evans. 0.07 versus 0.04. So just saying the pass. (laughs) The passing down work of Dwayne McBride dwarfs Tyon Evans somehow. That's that's nuts. (laughs) They're they're both basically zero. Um, Yeah. I thought it was just kind of funny. But yeah, they're both in that same sort of group, right? Where it's like they're definitely not going to be viewed. I mean, we say Chris Rodriguez won't be viewed as a – as a pass down uh, back in the NFL, these guys definitely won't be. And I think those three guys, you know, you look at McBride, Rodriguez, and Tyon Evans. I kind of put them in in similar bucket as. Um, oh, I know who we didn't talk about, and I'm going to mention it right now because another guy in that bucket that that is close to that bucket at least. And I'm I'm not sure what you think is uh, is Tank Bigsby. Uh, Tank Bigsby. I, I, that's where we're ending. We're ending on Tank's big Tank Bigsby because. You know, what what got me off of Isaiah Spiller last year was early in the process, I was so excited about Isaiah Spiller. Then I looked at his sort of raw numbers, and this is also what got us on Devon A-Chain, was that he was just, quote-unquote, better than than Spiller. But Spiller had sort sort of flattened out over his career and -hmm. never really did anything outstanding. I mean, at least, you know, with Sean Tucker and, and Zach Evans, we've seen some some spikes in their, you know, the way they've performed with, with, with tank. I feel like he's just been a sort of steady as she goes, which could be good enough for the NFL, but not, not enough to put him into the top five or six in this class. And I wonder what your thoughts are on tank Bigsby based off of some of the, the, the data you've looked at. Uh, what do you think about tank? Yeah, he's another one that's kind of hard to get a, a read on because Okay, yeah, Tank Tank Bigsby's freshman year was ridiculous. His box-adjusted efficiency rating that year was 149%. Mm. So nearly nearly 50% greater than, you know, on a per-carry basis than the other guys in his offense. Relative success rate, 11.5%. Just absolutely stupid good. Like, like his, and then these last two years were on terrible Auburn teams, uh, you know, led by Brian Harson, just a complete shit show on offense. And yep. Bigsby's numbers went down where you'd think, okay, even if the offensive situation is getting worse, he can still outperform the baseline and look good efficiency-wise, Yeah, which is true. It's not good that he kind of took a step back, but you can kind of tell yourself a story of like, this is a Cam Akers type guy playing on a terrible team, yep. trying to you know make something happen, and it doesn't result in good on-field results, but maybe he's like you know, just trying to figure it out on a shitty team and he's actually better than his results say I'm open to that. But these last two years do kind of look like Isaiah Spiller esque with him at Auburn. He's just like, if Isaiah Spiller ran like freshman Todd Gurley in his, in in his first year, like how would, you know, how would we make sense of, of Isaiah Spiller? Then I think we'd be like, okay, we got to kind of, you know, temper expectations, but there's this upside represented by how good he was early on. And so Tank Bigsby could be the Isaiah Spiller of this class, or he could be the guy we saw as a freshman just struggling to like tread water in a bad situation, in which case he could be like a top five talent in this class. I currently have him at like RB10, yeah. um, but it, it's, a, it's, it's a wide range of outcomes for him just because it's hard to know who the, like which Tank Bigsby we saw was the real one. Yeah. 
no, I, I kind of have them in that same range, right in that, you know, nine to 12 uh, mm-hmm. rank. I like the Cam Akers call a little bit. Um, he's not quite the athlete that Cam was, but he's a hell of a good running back. What 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 about like the Bay rating and uh, relative success rate numbers did he have in the the 21-22 seasons? Like, d- is there some yeah. underlying numbers there that show that he was more effective in a shitty offense? Not really. Uh, yeah. lat- or 2021, so his sophomore year, 82.4% box-adjusted efficiency Eesh. rating, which is really bad. Negative yeah. 1% success rate. And then last season, 105%. Better. So just barely better than the other guys, which, yeah. I mean, that that's, you know, that's not bad, but it's not, not good, good relative to like yeah. other NFL prospects and a negative 5% success rate. So he Jesus. was just swinging and missing on a lot of stuff trying to make wow. things happen like he, he he's always been really good in the open field he's always broke a lot of tackles so he has the kind of things that like you know good running backs do those things but good running backs also don't run inefficiently and yeah. so it's it's just a matter of is this a talented player trying to make it happen in a situation not conducive to it happening or is this a guy who just fell off and you know can't make it work unless things are perfect it's i guess we'll see Outside of the, you know, the McBride group, the 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 non-pass catchers, he also was the least efficient in terms of average yards per catch in this class, mm-hmm. or at least of the of the guys I've I've looked at, you know. And I would ask, is there any underlying receiving because he look, he had 30 catches this last year, 21 the year before. Mm-hmm. So like those numbers are good. 62 for his career, that's fine. But the 7.2 yards per catch over a career is not good. Is there anything in his receiving profile that says that he might be at least utilized and viewed as a three down back at the next level? Yeah, I actually just wrote an article about this that I think is is coming out Thursday the 20th, which might be the same day this this pod comes out. Um, But Bigsby, yeah, decent volume as a pass catcher. Uh, not good efficiency at all and Mm. uh you know that that's something that could be influenced by like quarterback play you know if he's just not being thrown accurate balls but even like his true catch rate which only looks at the balls that are catchable even that's really bad uh Mm. and and like you know he's not being targeted at a high rate on his on his uh routes he's running a decent route tree lining up out wider in the slot fairly often but his a dot is minus 1.7 that's in yeah. the 10th percentile. Like he just kind of seems to me like a guy who is being, you know, square peg into a round hole is like, he's yeah. our best player. Let's just like make him do a bunch of stuff as a receiver, but it didn't actually materialize in his production coming in those advanced ways. I think he's yeah. just like a meh as a pass catcher. Yeah. A lot of the ways that you're talking is making me feel like he is the Isaiah Spiller of this class, which isn't a bad player. It's just a guy who was probably steamed up a little bit too much from his, you know, freshman season production. And it's not like he's, again, I don't think he's bad. I just don't think he's, you know, going to be one of these elite guys that the NFL is, is, is fawning over. I think he's just a guy that probably a good solid NFL back that, you know, uh, that could find his way, you know, uh, as a backup, but I don't know that he's Mm -hmm. ever going to be a lead back in the NFL based off a profile that you just shared. Yeah, I, you know, I, I could, again, the, the, the range of outcomes is wide for him. I, I yep. could, it's hypothetically possible that he's as good as we saw he was as a freshman, but yeah, there's just mounting evidence since then. And, you know, kind of a downward trend since then 
where, you know, right, he he could be Joshua Kelly, he could be Keontae Ingram in the league, these guys who have, you know, decent skill sets but aren't starting level players. I would I would not be shocked at all if that's Tank Bigsby. That's that's fantastic. So um let's go out on this. I'm just gonna ask you, um, you know, for your life, Kendra Miller or Izzy Abanacanda? For my life, Kendra Miller or Izzy Abanacanda? I think I'll go with Kendra Miller. <laughs> it's so it's so close. I I I have him back to back, and I just think it's like such an interesting spot. Um, I, I'm really eager to see both of them get day two capital because I think they're a bit better than I don't know, man. I was actually surprised you had them that far down. Um, I I do see the upside with both, so it's going to be the 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 Zach Evans versus Devon A Zach Evans and Devon A Chain versus Kendra Miller and Izzy Abanacanda. Somehow, I just think that. Uh, you're going to steal my lunch on this and you're going to come out the winner, but we'll see, man. We'll see what happens, man. We'll Those see. One of us, is, one of us is going to die here. So yeah, you know, for sure, man, this is, this is for my life, for your life. Yeah. <laughs> this is high I'll, stakes. I'll take, I'll take the Kendra and Izzy Abanacanda. You can have the a chain and Zach Evans. And look, I will say the only reason I'm totally not totally out. The only reason I'm out on those two guys is the size. So if they can overcome that size, sort of uh metric that size issue it's going to be it's going to it's going to change look here's the cool thing every year i do the anatomy right when these guys actually break into that they change the anatomy because then it shows that that's possible and that that happens that is part of you know so if, if if gibbs and 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 spears and you know all these guys if they all just kind of hit and they're all like top 15 backs you know, in, in dynasty, like everybody's like, no, no, these are the guys, they were awesome, blah, blah. Then literally changes the anatomy of, of an elite running back in, in, in the dynasty lens. So that's one of the reasons I did it. I wasn't trying to, a lot of people have asked, like, why don't you go back and like, look at the past 10 years of RB1 finishes? And I'm like, well, that's not what I'm trying to, I, yeah, no, that's cool. Do that. I don't fucking, you know, that's not what I'm, t- that's <laughs> yeah. not what the, yeah. right? Like, that's cool. That's not what uh-huh. this thing is. This thing is trying to shine a light on what the prospect profile looks like right now, like almost trying mm-hmm. to look into the future. You know what I mean? And, and we've seen that the anatomy sort of change of, for a wide receiver from these big bodied outside clashers to, you know, smaller guys. And we're seeing that in the draft this year where we're going to have a lot of small guys that's making us a little nervous, right? All these guys mm-hmm. that are so small, but maybe I'm not saying it's for sure, but maybe they're all going to succeed in the NFL because the NFL wide receiver core and the successful elite wide receivers are getting smaller, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's very possible. Like there's a lot of talented running backs in this class who are undersized. Like you said, a chain Gibbs, yes. Evans Spears, you know, it will even see a little taste of what the NFL is thinking when we see how draft capital shakes out. And if we see a chain Gibbs and Spears all go before, you know, Roshan and Charbonnet and, you know, Kendra Miller start to come off the board. That's that's almost like a little hint. Like NFL yes. teams don't care as much as maybe we thought. You know, coming in. So I think yeah, we're going to get small pieces of that information within within a week. So that's yeah. that's exciting. And, and I would also say that some of those small guys, especially A Chain um, and Gibbs, I think they're better than you know the James Cooks and the mm-hmm. um, Kenny Gainwells of the world. Although Kenny Gainwell didn't he go yeah. like fourth or fifth round, but you know Cook got that you know that second round uh, capital. I wasn't as into him, 
but I might be, you know, I could easily be talked into an A-chain or more easily be talked into an A-chain over a, 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 a James Cook because of how they were used. I mean, James Cook has still never seen 10 carries in his life, you know, uh, in yeah. college or the NFL. Uh, I think he did once or twice, whatever, but yeah, people fact checking me, but um, he's not, he's not that kind of player. Whereas a chain, that motherfucker's coming for you. You know what I mean? So yeah. if they do see him that way, it would, it would lend a reason that they would uh, use him that way in the NFL. And, and here's hoping, I mean, I'm okay. Even if we see Deuce Vaughn get there, man, I'm ready for all these small dudes to, to make it happen, but it'll be the first time if, and when it does happen. Yeah, yeah. Bring it on. It's Bring uh it on. it's a small running back class, but a lot of dudes who should be exciting. So Yeah. It's, it's yeah, a lot I'm of fun to see doing where it this. All shakes out. Yep. Draft capital and the NFL draft coming next week. You guys are gonna be uh eating it up and then all these takes basically change or at least modify <laughs> and then we then we go ahead and draft our rookie drafts. I know I am so excited. I'm like I just can't can't wait you know i think that's why people draft before the draft these rookie drafts because they're just impatient uh but um but yeah i i can't wait for it i saw a lot of a lot of drafts last year where you know it's funny because in some of your leagues people listening at home you'll have guys who are just gonna stick to their priors like i saw a couple of leagues even post draft post nfl draft where isaiah spiller was the rb3 drafted you know in the first round of rookie drafts Mm -hmm. where i was like what the hell are you guys doing? And and it was just because, you know, they they bought some draft guide or looked at some shit early on. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess it's fucking Brees Hall, you know, Walker and Spiller. And they, and they just stayed there. And they never let any of the new information change them. Be ready to really change. I will be ready to make changes to my rankings as soon as the draft happens because you got to. And I'm sure you're the same, eh? Yeah, for sure. I'm fully anticipating having to make movement all over the place yep. in my rookie rankings after the draft. No yep. question. Absolutely. And that's what it's all about. Uh, so with that, tell everybody where, where they can find you. Uh, I don't think I mentioned at the top, but uh, uh, noamoreparties.com, a BDGE um, on YouTube. W- w- tell, tell the people. Yep. Uh, noamoreparties.com. I've got, it's, it's all running back stuff, but I've got analysis mostly on the rookie class right now. Uh, pretty soon going to pick up doing dynasty stuff, some more Debbie analysis, uh, but also have rankings for rookie drafts, uh, dynasty leagues, Debbie leagues, uh, three articles a week. So come check it out. One of those articles is free every week. Um, so yeah, noamoreparties.com and then Wednesdays and Saturdays on the BDGE YouTube channel. Otherwise, I'm on uh, I'm on Twitter at No More Parties, and that's that's where you can find me. Yeah, dude, he's a great follow on Twitter. He's a, he's an awesome dude. We are grateful to have had him. So, on behalf of everybody here at the Undrafted, on behalf of everybody here at the Undroppables, and on behalf of the soon to be losing to the Boston Celtics, Philadelphia 76ers fan, Mister Michael P. Duncan, you have been joined by the great Noah Hills. I am Jax Falcone, and we are...